Hello everybody, this is Benjamin Kitchings of the History Voyager. This is episode 105. This is a family friend, a woman named Becca Dutta. She is a nurse, a part-time nurse, and a, at that time a new uh, resident of Atlanta. I say at that time because she, we recorded this in January of 2021. And I did, I'm releasing it now, essentially, well, I have no real good reason. It's not like this is the the deep, dark secret of, of whatever or anything. Frankly, I got busy and simply forgot. Um, and I was going through my hard drive and basically discovered this thing. But I want to make clear that this podcast, this episode, fits in very nicely, I think, with my initial original reason for doing these interviews in the first place, which was that I wanted very, very, very much to to create an oral history of covid that's right. This is a COVID-centric podcast recorded in January. So I, I suppose it has the double, um, the double interest of being historical at some point in the future. And after a fashion, I think after a fashion, it's historical now. Because obviously, I mean, January was so four months ago and but I think it's a very interesting podcast when taken as an oral history into the disease and the pandemic and such and I hope you do too and also um, I want you all to to realize that I have some some very interesting podcasts coming up that I haven't quite gotten around to yet and also I'm going to be giving some interviews to a podcast in Singapore who which is run by a woman who's a uh, I guess a, um, an acquaintance of mine and I appeared on her show uh, in Singapore and I just think it's this has been such an interesting period of my life because I've been able to uh, to talk to people all over the planet really about all all kinds of different things and anyway I want you to enjoy this podcast or at least be informed by it um, anyway um, as I always say uh, you know this has been Ben Kitchings and as always I'm having a great day, and I hope you are too. Bye-bye. This call is now being recorded. Hello, this is Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager. As always, thank you very, very much for listening to my podcast. There are a zillion podcasts out there. I'm here with Becca Dutta, who is a part-time nurse and a full-time mom. And the reason I wanted to talk to you is your young mother during the pandemic, and you're new to Atlanta, but you've lived here before. 
Yes, that's and correct. Because of your husband's job, well, first of all, I thought you might could talk about the medical world as well. But because of your husband's job, you might have sort of an outsider, insider view into technology. And I was thinking we could talk about that as well if okay. you wanted. Okay. So let's let's start with. Uh, normally, I ask people when they became aware of COVID-19 with interviews like these. So when did you become aware of it? Um, I I know. I had a patient, actually. I work in dialysis. And so we see our patient three days a week, and we become very close to them. We get to know them, you know, personally and all, um, professionally, of course, but in, but still. And so I have this one patient, and she's a little bit of an oddball, but uh, – but she has a daughter who lives in South Korea who's uh, teaching English as a second language. So we have these – I grew up in Asia, so we had a little connection. So I remember back in January of 2020, she uh, was telling me, oh, she told me about COVID. And I remember telling her, oh, nothing like that is going to come to us, nothing like that. So she – then February came around, and she's like, oh, I'm, I've stocked up. I'm all ready. My daughter told me what I need to do to prepare for this COVID pandemic. And I'm still, I was like in denial. What is that? I didn't even bother to look it up because when I get home, I'm with my kids. I don't even pay attention to the news. And then in March, um, Anish, actually, no, at the end of February, my son turned February uh, 27th, he turned one. So my husband came for the weekend. He was working away. I was by myself with the kids. Another reason why I haven't been in the news, just home with the kids all day long. Um, and so he, and so that weekend I heard this announcement that the governor was shutting everything down. And I was just in shock. I had, I didn't think anything like that would ever happen in America I felt like we lived in a bubble. I've lived overseas, and the world there is so different than here that I feel like I'm just protected in my little bubble. Well, guess what? We're not. <laughs> we're just, we're humans. We are susceptible to illnesses. <laughs> wait, okay, wait. When you say the world over there, are you literally talking like like the world outside of America? Yes, that's what like I'm that. referring to. Because I grew up overseas in the Philippines, um, and where we lived, we lived very remote. I was born in 1986, maybe telling a lot, but in the 80s and 90s when I was growing up there, we didn't have internet where we lived. We went to the market, you know, what you see on the TV, to buy groceries, and uh, people were dying of just simple things that you would not think about here in the United States. Like, you could go to the market and you would find a kid that got cut somewhere and they don't have the finances or the ability to clean that wound and put in like a, you know, just a simple antibiotic ointment that we can buy over the counter here at a grocery store. They don't do that. So you would just see this kid with this gaping wound that's getting bigger and bigger and flies are eating it. I know that's gross, but it's the reality. And the kid's just sitting there crying while the mom's desperately trying to sell whatever she's grown in her little garden to feed her family. That's what I grew up seeing. So I guess yeah. me, and then I come to the states where you know we do have we do lack in many ways, but we do have some structured system to help you know with disabilities and help uh, people with food stamps and things like that. You know some basic necessities, and it is lacking in some ways, but there is something there more than they have in in other countries. You know I'm not as familiar with many you know every country, but I know for sure the Philippines. I'm 
familiar with fairly well. And my husband's from India, so I'm getting to know India fairly well. But it just, I guess I just assume that these these things can be controlled in the U.S. because we have this advanced medical system, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting because I did talk to somebody in the medical field um, about that. You know, he juxtaposed, uh, I don't even know if you remember, but there was um, an Ebola outbreak, a little and it, yeah. it could have been very serious. He juxtaposed yeah. that with COVID. But I did want to talk about, because for a minute there, I forgot that you lived in the Philippines. I don't know why. But um, so you lived in the Philippines growing up. So what was that like? It was very different. I was homeschooled because the school system was very uh, not advanced. I don't know how to put it. Very not the it's not the right grammar, but it was not a, it wasn't. Uh, the kind of education system I get here. So in order to make sure that I could, you know, graduate high school and be at the level I need to go to college in the U.S., my mom did homeschool us. Um, we, uh, on the weekends, we, my parents were missionaries, so they were sharing Jesus. That was their mantra of living, but also sharing, you know, in social needs too. If there was a disaster, my dad would get um, donations and would, would uh, divvy out food and things like basic necessities to the community, things like that. Um, but it was definitely different. I grew up, uh, my parents were all about live like the people, so we lived very simple. We had thin mattresses just like everybody else. Um, we still had a nice, comfortable home. Um, we had food on the table, but we ate the local food. Um, we just, we spoke the language. All my friends were locals, and most of them, their their floors were dirt floors. You know, some of them had some cement in their homes, but in general, it was like a village, with a market, and that was it. And that's right. how I grew up. Now, you went to, like, you would come home, or home. You would come right. to America, you would come to the U.S. periodically. Right. So, Correct. can you, like, and I guess I should tell, I mean, can I tell people, like, I, you're, you're a friend of my sister. So, right. like, I heard that story. Would you mind telling that story about the microwave? The, there were like little things she said that you didn't know what they were, like microwaves or <laughs> what was the other one? Well, your sister and I were friends in college. We were also roommates. So a microwave, I never grew up with a microwave. It was a new item to me to learn. And so when you don't know how to use a microwave, you might put something you're not supposed to put in the microwave <laughs> in the microwave. <laughs> we already know where this is going. Well, I was roommates with your sister, Julia, yes, and I put in a metal bowl and it was sparking in the microwave and I was like what happened I don't understand so so she had to educate me <laughs> on how to use a microwave <laughs> I remember that story I, I remember some of that story but yeah. Yeah. I mean but there were these little things like you didn't know what to, what was what um with the microwave or whatever <laughs> Um, yeah, there was a lot of things. I remember going to the grocery store and like the food is different, you know, just like the packaged food. And I was like, what is this food? So I would just buy, you know, a little something to try it out. So all this uh, packaged pastas and stuff, we just, I they never had anything like that in the Philippines. I've never eaten it really much. <laughs> so like spaghetti, things like that. Right. Well, my parents, like, when we'd come to the States, my mom would cook, like, spaghetti and stuff. But we were all, my parents are very frugal, so we always ate, you know, homemade food or whatever simple stuff. So, like, 
I don't know, Chef Boyardee. I never grew up eating that. <laughs> I still can't eat that. It tastes weird to me. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, just so you know, if you put spices in Chef Boyardee, if you spice it up, you put spices in Chef Boyardee, it's really good. <laughs> don't eat it up. Don't eat, like, what's in the can. Put put spices in it. It's really good. <laughs> well, I'll need you to cook for me, Ben. <laughs> um, good for me, Chef Boyardee. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people don't know he was actually a gourmet chef. But, um, back in the day. But, uh, what was it? Oh, yeah. Um, so growing up in the Philippines, um, so you, you would say that was kind of the third world, a lot of poverty, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, weren't you there during some kind of volcano? Actually, the year that the volcano erupted, we were actually in the States. I was not around for the actual, uh, eruption i i did grow up we used to live in this place called zambales and we would go to the city twice a year and for uh, our mission conferences and we always drove through the i would call it the ruins because literally the when the volcano hit there was a town at the bottom i can't even remember the town's name right now but the town is like covered in just uh it still is to this day i think it was 1990 can't remember when the volcano was it would have been 1998. That's when we went to the state. So I think that's the year it erupted. But the people, you know, my friends and stuff, they would tell stories in the area we lived was very far from a uh, volcano eruption, uh, probably a good four-hour drive or so. And they said that it was raining from the, like, raining instead of water. It was ash coming down on them. Yeah. Um, the, the town next to it, you can still see, like, rooftops. Uh, the steeple of uh, churches, things like that, that are showing, but the rest of it is buried. And people mm-hmm. that live there, they actually um, make handicrafts out of the ash, and they sell it on the side of the road as people drive by. That's how they try to make income, or they beg. What Those are the two things they do to, to get themselves fed, basically. Yeah. 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 So um, let me um, – all right. So, okay. So let's fast forward to to uh to COVID all the way right. to to the present day. Get back um, get off our rabbit trail. <laughs> well, you know. Um so let's fast forward back to COVID. Um Okay. So so you realized um with the lady in dialysis. So you were working in another state. You were working as a nurse in another state. You want to say what state that was? Or? Yes, I was working in Louisiana in okay. a in a small town in north northeast Louisiana. Mhm. And how was that town's I mean, how was your experience of that town's COVID situation? Or COVID Well, um, you know, Anish and I chose to of course take that take the pandemic very seriously. Um, he was work, he was able to work from home and I worked two days a week and I had a friend with a daughter who was babysitting and she was, she's kind of a paranoid type of personality. So she was perfect for us because she, she <laughs> just came with her daughter and she babysat, she went home. That was pretty much it. And you know, we, I usually went to the grocery store to, uh, sometimes I would do a pickup order, but at, at the time when COVID pandemic first started, the, the pick, a lot of times you couldn't find what you were looking for food-wise, so I would just go out and get the stuff, you know, mm. once every other week or something and be mm. the be the person to go out. And very careful at work. We, we were very careful at work. I felt very comfortable. We had um, – and dialysis, 
in the in the world of dialysis, we use a lot of PPE that normal hospitals do not use. You know, not normal, but in general, is not used in a hospital. Reg- regular dialysis. Yeah, right. regular stuff. Yeah. Like the gowns and things like that, we use them always in dialysis. It wasn't a new thing. It wasn't. We always had it. We did. Uh, we did run out of like a medium sized gloves, but it wasn't a major thing. You know, you we had the other sizes. Um, and so we just, we checked out, we just changed the rules a little bit. Like the patients had to get, uh, checked out their temperatures and asked their symptoms. And if we thought they may be exposed to COVID or something, we'd get them tested. And we had a separate unit that if they did test positive, they would go to, um, which was difficult for some because we live in a rural area. So it could be an hour and a half drive that they have to go to get their dialysis treatment because there's only one place that they can go in the, in the whole area in this, um, location. But uh, am I answering the question right? <laughs> well, basically, I, I yeah. just want you to tell your story. I mean, right. This is a so. So it was. It's fine. I guess we just chose not to socialize with a lot of people because um, a lot of people in our community did not take the pandemic very seriously. You know, a lot, there was. I used to be in a in a mom group at my church and. Uh, a lot of them were anti-mask kind of people. I don't know how else to put it. And so well, they, let me, uh, they well, let me ask you that because I've, yeah. I've wanted. I just want to know because I want to. I mean, why were they anti-mask? Like, what was the big? Why be anti-mask? I mean, well, they they. Uh, I think a lot of it is. I think social. Uh, you know, a lot of these people they're on social media, and that's where they get a lot of their information. And the the of course the conspiracy theory is that you have this carbon dioxide buildup in your mask that could cause you permanent damage. So they were more scared of that permanent damage to their lungs that could cause from a wearing a mask than from getting COVID, which is not accurate scientifically, biologically, but that's what they've been told. That's what they've chosen to believe. So, you know, that's yeah. I, sometimes I, I've come to know in life, sometimes you just have to let people decide for themselves, and you can't, I mean, you could right. try to sway them, but at the end of the day, they have to live with their choices. Unfortunately, in COVID, it affects all of us, right? Well, right, and what we had to do was we had to get um, N95, <clears throat> N95 masks, right. you know, the, we were fortunate enough to do that, and they weren't cheap, but... They're available, but uh, I tell you what, um, I talk to people all over the world, and uh-huh. several people have told me off air, like that Americans have this reputation as being—I don't know how you'd want to say it. Uh, <laughs> what? What? How would you say it? How would I say it? You know um, what I'm saying? Like, how would you? Americans have a reputation of being uh, America's the best. They think they're better than others. But, you know, in reality, almost all cultures think they're better than others. Yeah, <laughs> There's always somebody they, in a culture. I hate to well, say it. <laughs> but it's well, true. I, I'll tell you what. Like, several people have told me, like, um, well, you seem you seem very smart. Okay, I am. No, you seem very smart. Americans aren't. Some people have actually told me Americans aren't very smart. <laughs> <laughs> and being as you're married to a to a man from India, I was 
is this is this a, a sentiment you've run into too, or is this and am I alone in um, that? Um, you know, a lot of honestly, most foreigners they get their view of America, unfortunately, from our television, which is like they think of us as I don't know if this is allowed, but they think of us as just a very sexual culture. Um, that's one thing, yeah. and um, you know, everything goes and. Uh, that's what they look at. They they watch whatever's on TV. They think that's what we do. And, you know, TV is TV. It's, it's meant to entertain us. It's not meant to show an accurate description of daily life. Sometimes it is, but in general, it does not. And so their view is just like, oh, these Americans, they're just doing what they do on TV. You know, I don't know if I can. So. Well, I you can. They, they, they I mean, I'm, I'm rated not safe for work. For very what? <laughs> I rated my podcast not safe for work. Okay. <laughs> so you, so like explicit. So you can basically okay. say pretty much there's a couple things I can get in trouble with with Apple, but pretty much you can say whatever you want. Okay. Well, the view of for most people is that Americans are easy uh, sexually, women, um, and they think that we're just sleeping around, partying all the time. That's what we do with our free time. So I don't know if that makes us necessarily stupid. It means we like to have a good time, I guess, in some ways. But uh, yeah. but it all depends, of course, <laughs> on the people. Yeah. But I remember I went to – actually, I went to international high school, and we had some uh, – there was these – I remember I was in biology class, and for whatever reason, uh, there were these two Korean kids in there, and they were, like, just talking trash about America. Oh, Americans are stupid and that kind of thing. And, of course, I got defensive, and I turned around, and I'm like, well, where are you guys planning to go to college? And they're like, America. And I'm like, okay, so if America's so terrible, why would you want to go there? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> and yeah, they were I'm... like, they just shut up, just there. And it's like, oh. they like it, but they don't. So we are just, we're kind of a, you know, people like yeah. us, but then we're bittersweet in this country, too. <laughs> well, and, yeah, and it's a lot of people say that. I mean, a lot of people yeah. say it to me. But I don't know. It's interesting. Like I get, I'm getting a real education talking to these people all over the world about. That's awesome. Like it's really interesting. Um, okay. So you married, uh, I get, well, you said you married a a man from India. Uh, Right. Okay. So have you learned anything as far as what it's like to what the immigrant experience in America is like? Being married what? to your husband? What Have do you, you mean? Well, I don't know what I mean. Ah. I mean what, <laughs> <laughs> no, like, what do you, what, I mean, what, okay, before you married him and before you dated, before y'all were dating or whatever, like, what did you think, um, were your thoughts about America and the American immigrant experience? Okay. How have your thoughts about the American experience with immigrants changed because of your relationship with your husband? Well, you know, to be to be uh, honest, when I was in college, I did have a lot of international friends. Um, I tended to just relate easier, just flow, the, the friendship flowed easier. And I did date some other, um, some Indians as well. I, I tended to find them attractive, so I tended to date them. And then I met a niche and we got married. Um, but I think in, uh, I can't think of anything specific. Uh, I'm proud of, um, 
being married to him. He's a good-looking guy. He's fairly nice most of the time. We have our disputes, of course. <laughs> All right. Um, but uh, I know I did learn a lot about the process of becoming a U.S. citizen that I was completely ignorant of. What's um, the pro- What's that like, the process of becoming a U.S. citizen? Well, for him, he had been in the U.S. 10 years before we were married. After we were married, he applied for um, permanent residency or what's called a green card. Um, when he got married to me, because you're allowed to once you marry a U.S. citizen, and then he applied for citizenship. But for 10 years before that, he was the master. I don't know if the master, but he's always lived, you know, come here legally. He was a student, and then he switched from a student visa to a, they call an H-1 visa, which is a work visa. And um, he was, he's just always come here legally. So he, he, um, and he's, all, I've heard him advise other friends that are international how to manage the visa situations. It's very interesting. I'm not an expert on it, but I know they have different versions of it. Versions. They have different, I don't know if version is the right word, but they have like the H1 is a work visa. And then they have like a K1, I think is what it's called. And that's when a company brings over, like they have Dell and all kinds of companies in India. So those Dell employees can come to the U.S. through Dell for like two years, but they're not allowed to change companies. They're just there for that specific contract and then they have to go back. So, uh, anyway. Yeah. So, okay. So he, for 10 years, and then he lived here for 10 years, and did he have to, I guess he had to pass, like, a civics test or something he, similar to a civics test or something like yes, that. Yes, he did. Uh, it's kind of, it's like a U.S. history, uh, yeah, civic type of test. I did study with him. It was a couple of years ago. It was, like, five years ago. I don't remember all the specifics. Um, I did not take the test, so I don't remember what questions he got, but it was, it's pretty basic. You know, three branches of government, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Supreme Court, uh, Congress, President all that. Yeah. Right. Um, so, and he's, uh, he does, I, I think he does, well, I know he does, I could say IT, but. Right. Um, he's very much kind of cutting edge computer type stuff. Yeah, and, way over um, my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But still, at the same time, you kind of get the, I mean, you you get a sense, I guess, being, living around that, that, because I, I get a sense, doing what I'm doing, that we're in a revolution. This is a, a full-fledged uh, technological revolution. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> do you remember, like, for example, do you remember what I told you when we set this up? I said, you know, you know, our time, because you and I are in the same time zone, and that's a novelty right. to me. It's a novelty to me to be in the same country with somebody I'm talking to. Well, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> hey. uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? It's just crazy. Uh-huh. Um, so what kind of world do you think your kids are going to be living in? Well, one of the things that Rosalind, she's, she just heard four, um, and we're not, I didn't grow up, like Santa Claus is a very, American thing to do. Foreigners, I mean, Filipinos did have money for toys, let alone a toy from Santa. So they never did Santa. I don't know how to put it. So one of my friends, though, told Rosalind, let's call Santa. And she called her brother. But so Rosalind gets on the phone with Santa and all excited about Santa making Santa real. So then as she's on the phone, she's like, can we FaceTime? Because everything to her is she wants to FaceTime. I was just laughing, thinking, man, technology's going to ruin Santa for kids. <laughs> it's those little things that you don't think about. 
pandemic, you know, a lot of people have lost socialization, but a lot of people have used Zoom and the phone and other apps. There's so many ways to communicate. I mean, when we were in the Philippines, we used an email to communicate with our family. You know, once we got internet, we had a phone mm-hmm. line. We were the only one on the street with the phone line, and people would come to use their phone, you know, and they would charge per minute. And now it's like unlimited calling, right, across the U.S. and Canada even. That's what they do. And now you have FaceTime, so you can just use the internet <laughs> as long as you yeah. have an iPhone. <laughs> it's almost yeah. anyone. It's, it's insane. It's awesome. Uh, it's, it's wonderful, honestly. Yeah. Because I can tell you, when I was in uh, college, when I first went to college, there was no Skype, or it was Skype was very cutting edge back then. And I had just a flip phone, cell phone, and mom and dad, I always thought, you know, calling overseas is too expensive. You'd have to get a calling. So we emailed, and one day mom and dad got a calling card and called me, and I literally went to class crying because it had been four months since I had a phone with my parents. Wow. You know, and I, like, went to class crying. <laughs> it's so silly, but nowadays it's like I, I look back a year uh, Maybe, like, a few months later, Skype came out, and we joined Skype. You know, we had to pay for our subscription, and it was, like, a whole new world. I could talk to Mom and Dad whenever we wanted, pretty much. Well, the first time so the crazy. first time I ever Skyped anybody, I, it was just my buddy in Tennessee. And uh-huh. after that moment, I was like, you know, my, my great-grandfather, he lived to see, I mean, he lived to see television. He lived to see radio. He lived to see all that stuff. Right. And I was like, I just thought, you know, I I wonder if he just had his mouth open the last half of his life. <laughs> Literally, I just wonder if he had his mouth open. <laughs> his mouth open. Either that or was he disappointed because the Jetsons made 2020 look great, right? <laughs> well, and, and the joke, okay, so the joke I have now is like, you know what the Jetsons didn't tell us, Becca? What? The Jetsons <laughs> did not go over that if you video call with somebody on your phone, that is going to chew up your battery. They, <laughs> they did not go over that. Silly <laughs> was, <now. laughs> you know, right? It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, yeah, man. So, so like, did you write your parents' letters and stuff and? We emailed each other. Yeah, we so used email. You didn't write letters or anything? No, I never mailed a letter. Um, letters are really slow to go where they live. They live really remote. And if you sent – I did send a few packages, but it would take it would take like three months to get there. So you really had to plan ahead for Christmas. <laughs> I bet. If you wanted to do that. <laughs> But usually I just emailed them. We didn't bother. My I had a great grandfather who he always gave all the grandkids ten dollars on the birthday. That was his thing. He'd send a card ten dollars, and he was serious about it. So he used to mail us ten dollars. Well, it's a corrupt country. I hate to say it, but it was always stolen. The ten dollars was always gone. And my parents kept telling him, "Don't put the ten dollars. Please don't. Just don't do it. Don't worry about it." But he just could not. So if you told him it was stolen, he'd send another letter. <laughs> With more ten dollars stolen. Yes. <laughs> so we were like, just don't send a letter. Just you know, it's best to just email because there's no guarantee you'll even get it. <laughs> okay. Well, what about um? So you moved to the Atlanta area. So how do you like living in one of the biggest cities in North America? 
Oh, I love Atlanta. I think it's a it's a very diverse city. Um, mm-hmm. I like that you can kind of live in the suburbs and feel like you're in a small town, but you're really in the city. You know, you're close to everything. Um, I enjoyed the not traffic part of the small town we lived in in Louisiana. <laughs> there was literally nothing. <laughs> there was no traffic there. You had you complained if you sat at the red light for a minute. You know. <laughs> have you um so you've lived here before because you moved here during the pandemic right yeah right so yeah. yeah so you but you lived here i mean you lived here before the pandemic so i did so you remember uh traffic when I mean, you remember atlanta traffic <laughs> <laughs> i remember the thing about the traffic is i re- i knew my way around atlanta well enough that i could I knew what I just remember. I planned my life around the time of day, which direction mm-hmm. to go. You know, if it's in the afternoon, you want to leave the city. Not such a good idea. So I would like I would wait till like okay, I'll meet you for lunch. I'm not meeting you for dinner. <laughs> well, the weirdest thing about like because when I lived downtown, the weirdest thing uh-huh. was there there was a period of time where there was no traffic. There was oh, literally yeah. like no traffic. Uh-huh. And like on the weekends, it was great because uh-huh. it was literally like you had your own little small town that was like yep. with all this stuff in it, like a lot of stuff, <laughs> but it was like there was no traffic. It was amazing. Oh, it, was, it like, was amazing. It was like Disney World, but without, <laughs> it was like, it's like Disney World, but you could get a sandwich. <laughs> I actually lived down the street from you, Ben. I don't know if you remembered. Oh, yeah, I do, I do, I I do remember you living down the street from me. Uh huh. Maybe like yeah, those apartments. You lived in those apartments um, behind those other apartments. Yep, behind the Darlington. <laughs> I remember you lived in those apartments behind the other apartments, and uh-huh. I didn't even know that. And here I was, I'd lived in, I've lived in Metro Atlanta basically my entire life, and I didn't even know there yeah. were apartments back there. <laughs> There's that apartment finder. It's like that yellow building. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I think it's mm-hmm. called Apartment Finder, but they're like that's where I found all my apartments pretty much because I would find the best deals, <laughs> like mm-hmm. the things you would never think about seeing. So yes, I did. I would have never found it if it weren't for that Apartment Finder. I lived there for right. four and a half years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. Um, so how did your husband like Atlanta? Um, he likes it so far. He likes that it's, you know, I, actually, it was funny. When I got married to my husband, my father-in-law came to stay with us, and he was always complaining about it raining all the time. And I have family in Seattle. I've travel nursed in Seattle. I was like, it doesn't rain that much. So I looked up the rainfall, and I'm like, yeah, it does. <laughs> and then I did a contract in Austin, Texas, which is like a desert, essentially, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's so green here. It's the thing about Atlanta that Anisha and I love the most. I think Atlanta has has one of the most uh trees, like in like one of the cities with the most trees in America. I can't I haven't looked it up exactly, but we have a lot of greenery. So the air quality, you can tell it just feels cleaner. <laughs> so we just we love that aspect of Atlanta. Yeah, they one of the names for this place is the city of trees. One of the nickname. One of the nicknames for Atlanta is the city trees. I believe it. I believe it. I, I guess I took it for uh. granted, right? When you live in a place, you don't notice the things until you go somewhere else, and then you're like, "Oh my gosh, you're right. That was so true." <laughs> well, one of the things about Atlanta that 
that I didn't really appreciate until I left it and then came back was Atlanta is one of the fastest growing places, I think, in the world. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know in North America. I know, I know in the Americas. But, um, you know, when you, when you live somewhere, you know, your whole life basically, you don't really, it's like this, the saying about the fish discovering salt water or (laughs) the salt water fish discovering salt. But then, you know, I went somewhere else and I come back and I'm like, you know, this place really is growing like leaps and bounds all the time. Oh, yeah. Just like all the time. Um, yeah, we were gone for five years and I can tell a difference. <laughs> the traffic's worse, so there's all these extra people. What happened? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They found yeah. our uh, hidden jewel. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not a secret anymore. But, um, <laughs> well, I tell you, I, you know, and, um, I used to live in this county where, um, I forget, like, the actual statistic, but they were, it was like they were growing, they were, like, I forget, like, how many thousands or how many, I think it was, like, a thousand people moved in that one county a month or oh something my like gosh. that. That's it was a something lot. nuts. Or maybe it, it was, it, okay, I don't remember the number, but it was literally to where, like, even if you didn't know the number, like, even if you didn't know that, you could literally come out, like, week to week, like, come out of your place and, like, see, like, my God, that strip mall wasn't even there, like, two months ago. <laughs> And now there's people shopping there like it's been there for 10 years. <laughs> I'm sure your mom, who's an Atlanta ma- native, could tell you stories. I think uh, Julia told me she used to live in the Highlands, right? Your parents? Well, my, no, my parents, my, my mother lived there. My mother lived in the Highlands. And it was um, like a suburb, which is so funny now because it's so yeah, not. <laughs> it's so not. No, like, um, my grandpa, my, my mom's father. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of, uh, you, have you ever been down Barcliffe Road, been up Barcliffe Road? Uh-huh. Um, I mean, our, uh, where Julie and I went to nursing school right there. Oh, my bad. Yes. Yes, you <laughs> so did. I, think, I mean, it's a long road, so it could be uh, another part. <laughs> yeah. Well, my grandpa used to deliver bread on that road, and oh, it was a dirt no. road. When oh he did gosh. that, it was a dirt road. <laughs> and, yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> crazy, right? Oh, it is definitely not a dirt road anymore. <laughs> no, it's not. It's one of the busiest surface street. It's like, I think last I heard it was the busiest surface street in, in the city. The CDC and the Emory yeah. and all that is like, yeah. basically you go to a cliff to get to there. I can't remember exactly but, the road. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's way. it's not even stop and go traffic. It's like it's just stop. It's, oh man, there's no going. It's, it's just stop. <laughs> it's so it's so traffic. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, so, but you weren't here for. No, no, you weren't here for the um, to watch the this city become as multicultural as it's become. Like you weren't here before and after. No, I think uh, when I came, it was it was pretty multicultural. I think okay. it's becoming even more than it was when I first came. Um, oh, I came, for sure. I came in two thousand five. Uh, I graduated high school in oh five, and that's when I started college um, in Atlanta. 
And so oh, I lived here from 05. And then in 2012, I did some travel nursing until I met Anish in 2014. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. and then after that, we moved to Louisiana in 2014. Yeah. So, yeah. Or 2015. It's and all a blur. <laughs> and y'all in Monroe for... Right. Oh, yeah. Over five years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I bet I bet Monroe is a bit of a culture shock. I bet Atlanta to Monroe is a bit of a culture shock sometimes. Oh, it was a major culture shock. There is a lot of um, racial prejudice. A lot of um, it's yeah. like a country town. Like the 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 dialysis clinic I worked at. Uh, there was huge racial. Uh, there was there was all the nurses, all the the you know registered nurses with the college degree were white and the managers were all white and then all the CNAs, the techs were all black and they all, they sat at different tables to eat in the break room and there was always this animosity between the two groups. It was really sad, honestly. I was like, why are we doing this? I hated it. I actually, for, I would actually sit at the other people's table to eat just because I wanted to watch the table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is not cool. But that was a huge culture shock because my first job was downtown Atlanta and it was like, we used to have international night. It was fun. We would get food from everywhere. Potluck was always international. It was great fun. <laughs> Didn't you work at the same hospital Julia did for a while? I did not. She worked okay. at um, AMC, Atlanta Medical Center, and I worked mm-hmm. at Emory Midtown, which they're similar. I mean, they're a different yeah. company, but it's downtown so in similar we call, So in my house, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> in my house, uh, Atlanta Medical Center is called uh, Georgia Baptist, and uh-huh. right. and uh, AM, what are they calling Crawford Long this week? Uh, what? <laughs> Midtown, <laughs> Emory Midtown, <laughs> Emory <Correct>. Midtown. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> we still called it Crawford Long. It was called yeah. Midtown. It had a big sign. It was officially the Emory yeah. Midtown. We also called yeah. ourselves the armpit of the Emory system. <laughs> well, I mean, the funny thing about the funny thing about me, the funny thing about my mother's family is we've been here so long that, like, you know, some of us, you know, some of the older members of my mother's family, like, I guess older, my generation older, and can talk about things that were, like, have been going for decades. Right. And it's just so, like, Julia had has a story about how they were marking, like, you know when you when you show up with a with a head trauma to the to the hospital, uh-huh. like you know where are you? Well, I'm at George Baptist, and they would mark that wrong. And Julia said, "Don't mark that wrong. Everybody who's really from here calls it George Baptist." That's <laughs> right. She's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we went to Georgia Baptist College of Nursing at First University. So some of our professors used to teach at the Georgia Baptist College of Nursing, which is right there. They still have a sign, or they did it when I was in nursing school. I remember I did a clinical there, and they still had a sign where the old nursing school used to be there. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to see if you can imagine this. You know, in this day and time, in this day and time, I want you to see if you can imagine my cousin, our cousin went to Georgia Baptist uh, College of Nursing, but when she went there, they had to sleep in the hospital. Yeah. With you know, could you imagine in the day and age of COVID? Could you <laughs> imagine? I mean, I I wouldn't. Mm-mm. 
to be fair, in that time period, uh, they were single women. They weren't allowed to go if they were married, I believe, if I remember correctly. It was the 90s. 90, oh, well, I don't know. Was it she was married? the 90s. My cousin Ruth went in the 90s. Uh-huh. Was she married then? No. No, I think they weren't allowed to get married, so they lived. So, I mean, ideally, honestly, if I were working a COVID unit and I were, I would prefer to be single and just stay, I mean, if we're going to infect each other, we might as well just stay in one place away from everyone. <laughs> Mm. Like, but, and you know, you say that, but in, um, when the polio pandemic came out, well, I don't know if you call it a pen- epidemic or whatever it was called. It I can't remember the correct term. It was a polio. Right. Okay, wait. Help I me. can't believe I know this and you don't. An epidemic <laughs> is when it's, an epidemic is when it's one country. A pandemic right. is when it's worldwide. I can't believe I know that and you don't. But that's, <laughs> I'm doing this podcast. It's so sad. <laughs> Please forgive me, people. <laughs> I knew I was wrong when I said it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, when polio came out, they had polio wards, and that the people would volunteer, and they, they stayed together away from their family. So I think, you know, yeah, it sounds crazy in one way, but in some ways, a lot of nurses, I think, who work the COVID unit would prefer to be away from their families because they don't want to risk you know, infecting their families, but of course you can't leave your children forever. I mean, I say forever, but it's it's been a good amount of time, almost a year. That's a long time to be away from your children. That's very hard, I think, on a mother. So yeah, I think we're, if you were a single woman working that ward and staying in the hospital in that area, I think that would be great. <laughs> but I'm not there, so... I yeah. can say what I would or would not do when I'm not in that situation, of course. Well, right. And also, I mean, I mean, you know, it's so much of our society, so much of all of our society it just wasn't prepared for this. No, not at all. I mean, you know, the whole thing, we just weren't prepared No. for, I mean... It's funny because, it's funny because you can read books about the Spanish flu that were published 20 years ago, which yes. 2000 wasn't really that long ago when you think no. about it. No, not at and, all. And the way they write the book, it's like, well, we would know better than, we would know better than this now. But here's what they did. And I'm reading this and I'm like, hey guys, um, I'm from 20 years from, from you people and, um, no. We don't know better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. You know, I I have read about that Spanish flu, and actually my mom, her grandfather, who who died in 1999, he he fought in World War I. He was drafted when he was 18. It was the very end of the war, so he mostly was in the cleanup. But I remember even in, he was still alive, um, he passed away when I was like in sixth grade, but he talked about World War One, and he talked about how the Spanish flu killed more soldiers than the actual war and how devastating it was for for the, the people. And so from my understanding in literature is that during the Spanish flu, people were taught or told to, you know, uh, stay away and do some measures to be patriotic, to protect the soldiers. And so there was this other, I don't know what you call it, 
uh, it was patriotic. There was a big war going on. So I think yeah. there was something stronger that, that got people to be motivated to do things to protect themselves. Um, versus now, I think people are all about, let me be free. Let me do what I want. I want to be free. And there's this whole push yeah. to not be. And that's patriotic is to do what you want and be free, you know, not. I'm, I mean, it's funny. For the greater it's, good. <laughs> it's funny because uh, funny is the wrong word. Right. It's, you know, I had this, my great grandmother, you know, my great grandmother didn't go to college. You know, right. she was a smart enough person, but she told her people, like she told her kids and stuff, like, don't, don't go into Brunswick. Because they have flu there. And she called it flu, not the flu. And oh. the more I do this research, I mean, the more I did this podcast, the more I'm, that's why I'm alive. Like that's why, that's why we're alive. Because somebody said, stay home. <laughs> but then, but you know, then again, like you could, like they had a farm or they, they were fishing or whatever, you know, like they could. Right. So, I mean, there's that piece of it too. Like, I right. Don't know. Those that um, could should. I mean, I can understand when you can't, but if you can, why wouldn't you? I don't understand. I mean, maybe you know. Here's what I tell people: if if you were if you were me and you were talking to all these people about so and so lost a leg, so and so lost a hand, so and so lost a finger, so and so. I mean, I talked to a woman whose husband lost an arm from COVID and and she didn't know she's like I don't know what to do I don't know what to do devastating doesn't have an arm what do you do yeah and I mean look a steak sandwich is not worth an arm (laughs) 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 you know I mean by golly just wear a mask it's really not that difficult (laughs) I mean and and you think about it like we were talking about like we were talking about earlier, I mean, if you think about it, you know, it's just amazing to me how backwards we've got. Yes, we have. It, it's just amazing. And well, sad. I think a lot of it has to do with our culture. We're a very individualistic culture, and like, you know, Asian culture is all about doing, you know, you do for your family, you do for the community, and our culture is do what I want. So people are out there, you know, they've just, they've chose, they're like, I'm going to choose whatever theory I've chosen to obey or whatever do, follow, and I'm going to do it because I'm an individual. Well, guess what? You're still following something. <laughs> Everyone follows something. I mean, how individualistic. Want to admit it or not. <laughs> how individualistic are you if everybody's doing it? Is, is uh-huh. you know, is, is There's the always question. someone. <laughs> but, you know, so um, is there anything you'd like to tell the Internet? Uh, wear your mask, uh, hand sanitize, just be conscientious and respectful of other people, um, and that's about it. Okay. Thank you, Becca. I'm going to hang on just a second. Okay. <laughs>